scripture reading this morning is found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. In the Red Pew Bible, it's page 975. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're really glad that you're with us. There's a, a, a number of us missing this morning. A, a lot of our uh, high school and junior high students have gone on their fall retreat uh, with a lot of their adult sponsors, and we're missing them. They should be back, Lord willing, this afternoon. But uh, if you're visiting with us, we're really, really glad that you've come to be with us this morning. Thank you so much for your attendance. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned on a Sunday night, but I'm going to do it on Sunday morning. We need to work at getting to know one another better. There are a lot of new faces among us just in the last several months. And so here's the, here's the deal. We've done this before as a congregation. For the next several weeks, if you want to ask anybody their name, even if they've been here for a long time, and even if you've already been told their name, but you're a little bit embarrassed to ask again because you've forgotten. I don't know if that, I'm the only one that ever happens to, but probably not. You have permission, and we grant you permission. We're doing this as a congregation. We grant you permission to ask, what is your name? Would you please do, the, do me the honor of telling me your name? I know you've told me before, but I'm sorry, I don't remember. Let's do that. For the next several weeks, just ask somebody their name. Look for in the assembly somebody that you may not know as well, a new face, a new family, or if you are new, look for somebody that you don't know as well. You might even think about with your family sitting at a different location. Let's do that because we are at our best as a congregation of God's people when we know each other, when we have relationships with each other. And so don't be afraid for the next several weeks, just walk up and ask anybody, what is your name? I'd like to know your name. Ask them that and let's be kind and gracious to one another in that avenue and in that, in that way of getting to know each other better. For the last several weeks, we've been talking about the fruit of the spirit. It's found in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is in contrast in that passage to the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh are all about me. They're all about what I want. They're all about my passions and my desires. And the fruit of the Spirit, when God has his way in your life and mine, the fruit of the Spirit is a beautiful biography, a beautiful description of who God is, of his attributes, of his characteristics, of, of the things that make him God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You can see God in those things, can't you? Goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. You can see those things exemplified in the way God deals with us. You can also see those things exemplified in the way that Jesus treated people while he was here on earth in his ministry. Jesus was constantly emphasizing and demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit in his life. And God wants you and me to be demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit in our lives as well. By this is my Father glorified, Jesus said, that you bear much fruit, John 15, verses five through eight. And so the last quality 
and there are more that could be added to this list. It's not an exhaustive list. But the last quality in the ninefold fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, is self-control. Let's talk about that for a few moments this morning. God wants in your life and in mine for there to be self-control. Let's talk about what that means. When you think about the description of self-control in Galatians 5 verse 23, the word is a Greek word in kratia, and it's found a lot in your New Testament. And it has to do with restraining one's emotions, desires, or impulses. That doesn't sound like much fun to restrain my emotions or my desires or my impulses. We live in a society in a world that tells us if you feel something, follow your heart. If you're inclined to do something, engage in your inclination. But God says, no, I want you to be self-controlled. Interestingly enough, self-control, when it's present in our lives, oftentimes it's not very obvious. When you see somebody that has self-control, oftentimes you just, you you don't even, you kind of overlook it. But when somebody lacks self-control, when there is no self-control in a person's life, it's really obvious, isn't it? Because sooner or later their lives end up in all kinds of disasters and messes. And God is saying, if I'm having my way in your life, one of the evidences that you're listening to me, God says, one of the evidences that you are following my will is that you're going to control yourself. And you find the word self-control in a number of New Testament passages. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. Open your Bibles there, if you would, for just a moment. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. It's oftentimes found in passages that are lists. And certainly in 2 Peter 1, you find what we sometimes call the Christian graces or the Christian virtues. And Paul is, or Peter is writing about how we ought to add to our faith a number of things. Beginning in verse 5, supply your faith with virtue and virtue knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patience or steadfastness and godliness, and godliness with brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness with love. And then look at verse 8, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. For if these qualities are yours, and if they are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we talk about knowing Jesus, when we talk about knowing God, The passage here is telling us that if we don't control ourselves, we're not going to know Christ. We're not going to know God as fully as we otherwise could. Again, Galatians 5 verse 23, the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. Against these things, there is no law, Galatians 5 23 tells us. There's no law that says you got to stop controlling yourself. You got to just let go. Control yourself, God says. Acts 24, verse 25. When Paul preached to Felix, he preached a three-point sermon about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. Paul had one shot, maybe, with this Roman governor, one opportunity to talk to him about things that are, that are meaningful, things that are eternal. And Paul chose to speak to him about righteousness and self-control and judgment to come. A gospel sermon, if ever there was one. And that's what they preached in the first century. Control yourself. 
This is God's will for your life. This is what God desires for you. Now, as we describe self-control, I've already said, you can see it a lot more clearly in people's lives when there is no self-control. You can see it in your own life when there's a lack of self-control. There, there's evidence that it's there, that, it, that it's not there. You think about the description of self-control. How about this? Doing what's right when you feel like doing what's wrong. Doing what's right when you feel like doing what's wrong. I don't feel like doing the right thing. I don't feel like obeying God and serving Him. But self-control is about doing the right thing even though you don't feel like it. Knowing you can, but deciding you won't. Knowing you can, but deciding you won't. Have you ever stopped to think about in our lives, we have some accountability structures kind of built into our lives. For example, when you're home with your family during the week, there are just certain things in your life that you're just not as tempted to do. But if you happen to go away on a business trip or if you happen to be away from home and you're with people that maybe don't serve the Lord and don't honor God, all of a sudden the accountability structure that was there when your family is present, that, that accountability structure is not there anymore. Self-control is about me knowing I can, but deciding I won't because I want to honor God. I want to praise Him. I want my life to show that I really do belong to Him. Or maybe you like this one, not eating all the popcorn before the movie starts. Self-control, not eating all the popcorn before the movie starts to play. Or because the holiday's coming up this week, not eating all the candy corn just because there's a bag of it on the counter. We need to think about as Christians, God tells us, brothers and sisters and friends, restraining ourselves controlling our passions and our desires for the glory of God, this is what it means to be a Christian. It's what it means to serve God. And if I can just ask you, in what area of your life is self-control a struggle? In what area of your life is self-control a challenge? There is an opportunity to glorify God in that. Next, this morning, the necessity of self-control. Why do we need it? We described it briefly, but why is it even necessary for us to have self-control? It's not an option, by the way. The scripture doesn't say that the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace. And if you decide to have those things, good for you. But self-control, it's kind of a second category. That doesn't, that's not what the passage says. This is what it means to serve Jesus, to grow in self-control. It's about maturity, by the way. Little children very often lack self-control. Every parent knows that. We talk about our children sometimes losing control. They get overly tired, overly hungry. They lose control. This is not the way Christians behave themselves. It's not the way we conduct ourselves. The example of Jesus, if there was no other reason why self-control ought to be part of my life, the fact that Jesus controlled himself, he controlled his desires and his appetites, that ought to be enough all by itself. Open your Bible to Matthew 4. Look at verses 1 through 4 with me. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. You think Jesus never struggled with self-control? You think this was never a temptation for him? That's exactly what the temptation of Jesus is about in Matthew 4, verses 1 and following. 
Read with me if you would, Matthew 4, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, verse 2. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus answered, verse 4, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If you're looking for a good verse to memorize, to think about self-control in your life, Matthew 4, 4 is a great one. Because what the Lord is doing is he's saying, yes, I'm hungry. Yes, changing those stones into bread is something I'm able to do, but I'm not going to do it because the Lord has not given me that command. It would be an abuse, a misuse of my power to use it selfishly for my own interests, for my own bodily needs. I'm going to control myself. And by example, Jesus is saying, you and I, when we're tempted, you and I, we ought to think about the words that proceed from the mouth of God ourselves. In Hebrews 4 verse 15, the scripture reminds us that Jesus was tempted in every way like we are, and yet he was utterly and completely without sin. In 1 Peter 2, verses 21 and 22, the scripture reminds us that he let a, set an example for us that we should follow in his steps. We should do what he does, self-control, the example of Christ. It's essential to discipleship, Luke 9, 23. If anyone would come after me, Jesus says, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. To deny oneself, to say no to what I want so that I can say yes to what God wants. It's an essential element of discipleship. Again, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Think about it. It's the, it's the sermon series we've been involved in. But if God is leading me in listening to His Word and obeying and responding to what His Word teaches... If that's happening in our lives, self-control is the fruit that is produced. It shows up in our lives. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's evidence that we know God. And again, in 2 Peter 1 verse 6, it is a means of knowing God. Control oneself to control my passions and desires, to say no to things that I want and that I desire so that I can say yes to God and to His will. It's a means of knowing God. That's why it's necessary. Look at this, number three. What happens when self-control is absent? I've told you already a couple of times this morning, self-control is interesting because it's hard to see sometimes when it's present because little at a time, little at a time, self-control changes us. It helps us to mature. It helps us to grow. But when it's absent, boy, it's really obvious. Let me share some evidences that self-control may be absent in your life and mine. Number one, not finishing what we start. There are some things that you can start and it really doesn't matter whether you finish. It really doesn't matter whether you see it through to completion, but there are some things that we must see through to the end. Luke 8, 14, Jesus talked about some people that received the word with eagerness, with gladness, but they did not bear fruit, he says, to perfection. In other words, they didn't endure, they didn't stick with it. There was a lack of self-control, not finishing what we start. Procrastination. When Paul reasoned with Felix about righteousness and self-control and judgment to come, you remember what he said? He trembled and he said, go away for now, Paul. Some more convenient day I'll call on you. 
I'll call you back, Paul. Don't call me. I'll call you. Some more convenient day. Tomorrow. Later. That's when I'm going to get serious about controlling myself. That's when I'm going to get serious about holiness and righteousness and about judgment to come. Putting things off. Lack of self-control. Disorganization and a lack of punctuality. If you say you're going to be somewhere, be there. If you say you're going to do something, do it. Colossians chapter 4 verse 5 talks about being orderly in the way that we treat each other. It talks about being gracious in the way that we speak to others. Colossians 4 verse 6. It may be an evidence of a lack of self-control when this is characteristic, when this is habitual in our lives. How about bad habits and vices? How's your language? The words that you say, what about when there's a lack of accountability around you? What about when there are not people around you that are thinking about and and that are encouraging you to speak in a way that honors God? How's your language? Self-control. It's about putting away the things of the world and putting away a worldly way of living, being renewed in our minds, Ephesians 4 verse 23, and then putting on the new man that's created according to Jesus Christ, created according to good works, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Put away those bad habits, those vices. About gossip and slander. Saying things that you shouldn't say. Speaking about people in a way that is unbecoming a New Testament Christian, that is unbecoming a child of God. You belong to Jesus Christ. Are you speaking like somebody that belongs to him? And when you talk about your brethren, when you talk about the people around you, do people get the sense that you sincerely care for their souls and that you're concerned about them? Gossip and slander. James says in James chapter 3, he says, from the same fountain, talking about our mouths, sometimes comes both fresh water and bitter. He said, that's just irrational. That should never be the case. How's your speech? Self-control. What about displays of temper? Well, that's just the way so-and-so is. They They just have a short fuse, a short temper. They'll be all right in a little while. When we refuse to control our anger, when we refuse to handle it in a God-honoring way, we are lacking in self-control. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 tells us to be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. That means deal with it quickly, deal with it completely, handle it. Laziness. Eh, not all that interested. Not that much that I'm really interested in getting up and doing, being lazy. There is a place, by the way, in the New Testament, there's a place for Christians to rest, a legitimate place for relaxation. There's a legitimate place for us to rejuvenate, for us to rest in a healthy, godly, biblical way. But there's also an element and a line that we cross eventually when we're shirking our duties, we're shirking our responsibilities. Remember the one talent man? The master went off to the far country. He left his servant with one talent and his servant went and buried the talent in the ground. When he came back, the master said, you are a wicked and a lazy servant. You should have invested. You knew what my will was. You knew what I intended for you to do with this talent, but you didn't do it. Whether you were afraid or whether you were upset or whether you were, it doesn't matter what your motives are. You should have done my will. You're lazy. Lack of self-control. When it's absent in our lives, it's really obvious, isn't it? 
Again, I ask, in what area of your life is self-control in short supply? And then this, if the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, there must be some blessings that come from this because love and peace and faithfulness and gentleness, those things carry blessings that are just pretty obvious. What about self-control? What are some blessings that come from controlling ourselves, from restraining our passions and desires for the glory of God because we belong to Him, because we're His servants? What are some blessings that come from self-control? Blessing number one, we honor God by avoiding temptation. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, open your Bibles there if you would for just a moment. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, it is one of the greatest promises in the New Testament. It's not one we like to think about as much because we want to hear the promises, naturally so, about God being with us and protecting us and caring for us in every circumstance. But think about what's being said here in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I want you to think about that promise. There's no temptation you will ever face in all of your life and all of your experience where you don't have an option, where you don't have the choice to say, I'm gonna do God's will. There is no such thing as a temptation that forces you to disobey, that forces you to leave behind the will of God. That's the promise. And it's a great promise to think about. When there is self-control in our lives, when we are allowing God's will to dominate our thinking and we're making choices based on what he wants, we'll avoid temptation. We'll seek the way of escape, the way out. Next. When there is self-control in our lives, it gives us the ability as human beings to set healthy boundaries in our relationships with people. We need to think about our relationships and we need to think about what God expects of us in all of our relationships. In 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, you remember there was a Syrian general named Naaman. He had leprosy and he came down to see the man of God in Israel. And when he got to the man of God's house, the man of God wouldn't even come out to the door to see him. He just sent one of his servants to the door, told Naaman what he should do. Naaman got really upset. Well, I thought the man of God would come and speak to me himself. Why doesn't he? Just because people make demands of us, brothers and sisters and friends, just because people make requests of us does not necessarily mean that we are obligated to fulfill those requests. We need to think about this in the context of the totality of God's will. Matthew 7 verse 12 tells us that we ought to do unto others as we'd have them do unto us. And sometimes setting healthy boundaries is exactly what we would want others to do for us. Self-control. We honor God not only by that, but by also discerning what's best. In Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, Jesus went to Mary's house and Martha's house. And he brought his disciples and a whole bunch of people came over for company. And Martha got busy and distracted, serving and helping and providing food and making sure that her guests were comfortable. But Mary sat down by the feet of Jesus and was listening to him teach. 
And Martha got upset about that. And she said, Lord, tell my sister that she needs to get up and help me. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted about many things. Only one thing is needful. Mary has chosen the better part. If Jesus came over to your house, how would you respond? Well, I want it to look nice and I want to make sure that I prepare the very best meal that I can. We would think about those kinds of things. Jesus says, the most important thing that you could do, Martha, is to sit down and to spend time with me, to listen to me. Self-control helps us, brothers and sisters and friends, to be discerning. Otherwise, we get busy doing a lot of good things and missing out on the best things. We get busy seeking all kinds of things that, that call for our attention. And they're good things, not wrong in and of themselves. But we miss out on what's best, on what's most important, on what's most impactful and what God most desires of us. The ability to say no. It's about self-control. We honor God when we have self-control by remembering our own imperfections. When you start to get serious about self-control in some aspect of your life, you know what happens? Listen to me. When you start to get serious about self-control in some aspect of your life, you become very judgy of other people that aren't doing what you're doing. It's a human tendency. It's what happens to us. So you get serious about, I don't know, eating right eating healthy. You get serious about that. And all of a sudden you start looking around at everybody else around you that's not eating healthy. And you think, well, I'm glad I'm not like that man over there. Like the Pharisee. Self-control is the fruit of the spirit and self-control ought to remind us, listen to me. It ought to remind us how woefully we fall short ourselves. Because who among us can say, I've got a perfect record of controlling myself in every circumstance and every aspect of my life. I've got a perfect record and I've done it all great and I'm so much better than everybody. Who among us can really say that legitimately? Self-control helps us to remember our own imperfections. Matthew chapter five, verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus wants us to remember that while self-control is part of following him, None of us has done it perfectly and none of us will do it perfectly. The goal is there. The desire is there to control ourselves. And yet still we need God's help. We need God's blessings and we need God's grace in our lives. There's a blessing there to be reminded how much we need Jesus in our lives. The fruit of the spirit, is it evident in your life? Is it present in your relationships with others? Is it a part of the way that you are living your life right now? If God has his way in our hearts, we're going to become more and more like him in all of our ways. That's what the fruit of the spirit really boils down to. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a New Testament Christian. You want to be baptized for the remission of your sins because you believe that Jesus died for you and you were ready to confess his name to make that good confession. You're ready to repent of your sin, to turn away from what you want to do so that you can do what God desires for the rest of your life. That's what you're making the commitment to do. Repentance and then baptism is the point at which we are born again. It's the point at which we come into contact with the saving blood of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter six, verses three and four. 
If you're ready to make that commitment this morning, if you need to respond and you'd like to ask for prayers, you know, one of the best ways to learn self-control is to pray about the things where we struggle. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray for you. If we can help you in any way, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing.